Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Dog and Duck Show. It is finally here, the final week in the history of the Pac-12, and it could not have ended any better for fans of the Dog and Duck Show. The dogs are coming into the Pac-12 Championship Week at number three in the country in the newly released CFP poll, 12-0. and the first team to make it through the schedule, the regular season schedule undefeated since the formation of the Pac-12 and right behind them, the 11-1 juggernaut Oregon Ducks coming in at number five in the nation. This is a special episode because this is a special week. We've got some of our friends, Jake, Andrew, and JJ will be joining us shortly, but before we Get into some conversation with those guys. Mark, today is your birthday. Happy birthday, my friend. How are you doing? All I want for my birthday is three more wins for the Ducks. That's all I want. And you know what? I would settle for one. I would settle for one. I'm sorry, Mark, but all of your birthday wishes expire (laughs) on Thursday night. So there's no birthday wishes that go beyond Thursday night. That's just a a real unfortunate outcome but no really how are you doing and how are you feeling about uh where your beloved ducks are standing right now yeah i i mean i am i am ecstatic warren if you had told us in august that this i mean i actually almost predicted the scenario back in august but if you told us in august that uh our two teams would be sitting here both ranked in the top five playing in the conference title game with the winner almost assuredly going to the college football playoff in the case of of Oregon it's slightly less certain than Washington uh we absolutely would have would have taken that so no doubt about it and uh the CFP poll just released a few minutes ago Georgia coming in at number one Michigan at number two UW at number three Florida State at four, Oregon at five, Ohio State after losing to Michigan now is at number six, which is definitely a disadvantage uh, position for them. And then uh, Texas and Alabama kind of hiding in the bushes, waiting to, uh, to to snap up any chaos that may unfold over the weekend. But Mark, I was just thinking as we were preparing for this show, going back to the beginning of this season, we we recorded an episode on August 29th called the road to glory. And we made a game by game prediction. And Mark, I know you have uh, a memory, like a bear trap. You, 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 you catch everything, but in that, in that episode, you'll remember you picked both the dogs and the ducks to go 11 and one with the ducks only loss being to Utah and the dogs only loss being to Oregon and you predicted that we would be in this Pac-12 championship game then. I was not quite as hopeful. I had the dogs at 10-2 and two with a win over Oregon, but losing to USC and Utah. And then I also predicted that the Ducks would take three losses and uh, would miss out on the Pac-12 championship game altogether. So uh, you, you were definitely closer to having it right, but... Uh, this is what we've been talking about all season. Could it be possible that the Washington Huskies and the Oregon Ducks in this final season could meet for a rematch again in the Pac-12 championship with everything on the line 
and it worked out just like we talked about. It, it, it's just like we talked about, but I have to say that when I made that prediction, I I did not really believe it was an accurate prediction. Like, I think if I would have talked to you in private or, or probably with these other guys in private at some point, I'd probably said, I think, I think 10 and two is a really good year for the ducks. I think 10 and I thought 10 and two would be a pretty good year for the Huskies. I actually thought if one of those teams was going to go 11 and one, I was leaning towards Washington at that point in the year. Uh, Oregon just had so many questions regarding is the defense really going to be improved by all these additions from the transfer portal? What's going to happen with the offensive line? We lost four starters and needed a new offensive line coach. Uh, we hired a new offensive coordinator. How's that going to affect everything with, with, you know, the maturation of Bo Nix and all that. So there were a lot of questions surrounding Oregon and they, and I think they were properly pegged as the fourth team of that big four Pac-12 involving USC and Utah and Washington. Uh, whereas I think Washington came in and was kind of the co-favorite with USC, right? Isn't that what we mm -hmm. all kind of thought was it was going to be, you know, those two felt like the teams with the highest hopes because they had the best quarterbacks was kind of how we saw it at, in late August. Well, Mark, why don't you introduce our guests who have been on, all been on the show before and get them to weigh in a little bit on just their opening thoughts to this this epic epic end of season yeah so uh I, these are i guess all all three friends that i will claim and warren will not maybe no <laughs> not true been, not true they've been friends with uh with me longer but uh so first uh jj vansel uh we've gone back uh talking dogs and ducks for probably 20 some years now uh jj all roads led to this mark <laughs> Will we still have a friendship on Saturday morning is my question to you. Well, first off, happy birthday. Um, and, and that's to be uh to be determined. TBD. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll be friends. It just might be a long time before we can talk. <laughs> yeah. Uh J JJ and I have probably had the most heated uh conversations back and forth about uh the dogs and the ducks. Um Mostly because because JJ was an ardent optimist in the dogs even during their darkest days. Uh, our other uh, mutual friend Jake Holderman has been, I would say, more of a realist uh, when it comes to the dogs, and I think that that is still true today, as as will probably be revealed later in this pod. But uh, Jake, if I told you at the beginning of the year that this was a twelve and zero Husky team, would you have believed me? Uh, in short, no, heck no. Uh, I just, yeah, it's hard to go 12 and 0, right? If you're not named Alabama, which not even them, right? Georgia, Ohio State, 12 and 0 is really hard to do. And uh, I, I just thought we were going to trip up to somebody, right? It's going to be Utah is going to get us. USC is going to get us. Oregon's going to get us. Somebody's, you're, we're going to have an off night. Like you just can't be perfect. And so, yeah, I would have, I would have definitely bet the under uh on on that and felt pretty confident about it so sitting here at 12 and 0 is uh not something i had predicted that's for sure and and then our, our final guest andrew getman uh andrew is my fellow duck i needed at least one other duck on this podcast to uh look at things with through the same lens andrew if i had told you at the beginning of the year 
Washington is going to extend their winning streak to 19 games by this point in the year, which means a 12 and 0 regular season, which means back-to-back wins over the Ducks. I think we both would have agreed that's DEFCON 5 worst case scenario. And yet if I told you that going into the Pac-12 title game that I could go on like Washington Husky sports radio and hear them talking about this Husky team, the way they're talking about a four and eight Jimmy Lake team, they're worried about the backup linebackers playing too much. They're worried about a certain cornerback not getting enough safety help. Like, I mean, this, this is kind of uh, could not have played out any better for duck fans to be uh, the underdog in some respects in that. Oh yeah. We lost the first two games. We don't have as high of a ranking. And yet uh, I think Oregon fans, right. We're feeling much more relaxed about the state of our team compared to our Husky brethren. Yeah. uh, You, you nailed it there. If you would have told me that I could have saved uh, the time and money on going up to Husky stadium (laughs) and watching the ducks lose just, just a tough game, just a tough game. Um, yeah, but you take it. It is so weird. And I think it is the problem with winning is that when you win, you're like, okay, well, what didn't work um, during that game? We could have been better, right? So it's always the could have been, could have been, um, instead of saying, dude, we we took the W, right? And there, some people are saying that, but it seems like the fixation is on the little things rather than, Okay, yeah, we're we're twelve and zero. Like nobody's touched us. Um, we've met every challenge in our way, and we've won. And you don't see that right now because uh, somebody in Vegas said, "Hey, seven points, Oregon." Um, and, and now the sky seems to be falling, which is weird to me because, again, like if you said Andrew, you could be twelve and zero or eleven and one. And uh, if you're 12 and 0, you're not favored in the championship game. And if you're 11 and 1, you are whatever that works out. I I I'd take the the 12 and 0. I mean, 100 percent, I'd take that. So it's a this is an odd odd season. Absolutely, and I think you know it it could not have been written any better. I I mean, I I truly. I'm looking forward to watching the movie about this season and we don't even know how it's going to end yet. And yet I, I think about, you know, going back to the early days for me, 12 and 0. So for me, I started following Husky football really intently when I was about 10 years old. So, you know, the late 80s is when I started going to games with my dad and really keeping track of players and and wanting to know what was happening with with the dogs and all those kind of things. And, you know, there's something about that age, you know, like when you're a a 10, 11, 12 year old boy, that there's something magic about being captured by uh, a great team or a great player, whether it was Michael Jordan or Barry Sanders or Ken Griffey Jr. or the Washington Huskies. And to go through that magical season of, you know, going undefeated, winning uh, the Rose Bowl and saying we are the national champions. And now it's almost like going through this season again. It's like 
reconnecting so many of us with that inner child that went through that all those years ago. And I, I had the opportunity this week to talk to Greg Lewis and I had the opportunity to talk with Tony Castricone, Steve Pelour, three Husky, you know, legends in their own rights. And they all have those kind of unique memories. But I, I say all this to say that, that when we look at what this season is going to mean for Husky fans, this last game that we just played the Apple cup, it's more than just about completing a 12 and 0 season there. The Apple cup has always meant so much to Husky fans. And when you go back and you look at how many of those Apple cup games had something on the line, um, it, it really is a, a storied rivalry between the, the dogs and the Cougars. So for that game to end the way that it did, 24 to 21 with a walk-off field goal uh, by a walk-on kicker named Grady Gross who earns a scholarship minutes after the game is over in the locker room. I mean, again, you just cannot write this any better. So let me just take a, a moment to ask my dog brothers, as you guys were watching this, you know, what emotions were you experiencing as you saw the highs and lows of, okay, we're going into this game. We're highly favored. We're, you know, we should be destroying these guys, but yet why would we expect anything different than what we, what we got uh, this past Saturday after, you know, all that we've experienced throughout this year? Yeah, I I had such a complex like I was I was angry during the Apple Cup, right? Um because watching that game I was going the whole time I think we're going to beat the Cougs. Like I just feel like we're going to pull this out because this is how we've played like you said Warren all year, right? Um and I think I was hoping that like this would be where they kind of put it all together, right? There was no flu, there was no rain. There was no wind. This was like perfect, beautiful November day. Even Brock said it on the, the broadcast a couple of times, like this doesn't happen in Seattle. Right. And I was like the, all the ingredients are there for us to just put together, put our best foot forward and show like, you know, a game similar to the offensive output that we had at USC. And we just put up a clunker and I, I was going, okay, I, think we're still going to pull this apple cup out um of course that touchdown at the end of the first half really that knocked the me. wind out of our sails. Uh, oh my goodness couldn't believe but anyway um but the the thing that i had in the back of my mind was just how are we going to beat oregon like this is how we've been playing for for six or seven games now yeah we might be able to sneak by the cougs but the ducks look just like a steamroller. And if we come out and have all these three and outs and turnovers and dumb penalties. And again, this apple cup was not a one-off. It is a, you know, the seventh in a long line of games where this has been a trend. And so I just, even after gross kicked it through, I was relieved, I think would be the, probably mm -hmm. the top emotion, but I was still just like, I I'm trying to write the script where this team can play like this and beat 
organ and it was hard to come by. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to put it, Jake, because it's like you're like, OK, we can we can beat this team, but there's no way we can beat the team that we really want to beat at the end of the season if we put another another performance like this together. JJ, I know that you were probably feeling a lot of those same feelings, but walk me through the fourth and one call. Uh, you know, we, we we get stopped. We're we're trying to move down the field in order to get into field goal position to win the game. If we if we punt it, there's the chance that Washington State just takes the ball down, kicks a field goal, and game over. And on fourth and one. Ryan Grubb and and Kalen DeBoer decide to pull out a fake uh, end around to Roma Dunze, and uh, it turns into something magic. Walk me through what your eyes saw as you watched that play unfold. Well, I want to let the record show that I was adamant that this was the wrong call. <laughs> I, I was like, you, you have to punt it. You cannot put the entire season, the whole trajectory of us going to the college football playoff into this fourth down play. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, simultaneously as the sports fan, I'm going, yeah, like I want the drama. Like how how fun would it be to, 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 to see this, this play out? But as a Husky fan, I'm going, no, punt the ball, go to overtime, let your defense, you know, and, and we'll figure it out you know, after, after uh, regulation and then to watch, uh, you know, Dylan Johnson, you know, take the ball. I'm thinking he he's short, you know, in that split second. Yep. It, it was amazing. It was amazing uh, that that call. And I mean, us as Husky fans, it's such a joy to watch a team actually convert a fourth down when it matters. It's, it's amazing. Mark, how happy were you for all Husky fans that they converted on an absolutely critical fourth down? I, I was going to say, it's not lost on Oregon fans that this game came down to, one, a, a dangerous fourth down decision that totally worked for the Huskies, and then a kicker coming through and, and drilling the ball through the uprights. You know, the two things that did not go... <laughs> Oregon's way when they were in Husky Stadium so yes that it, it was very much like kind of rubbing salt in that wound so to speak uh but I think I'm I'm just glad to hear JJ acknowledge that he was against the call and I've heard a couple other Husky fans say this is that they thought like I thought it was too risky I was not in support of it I'm glad it worked uh because at least that's being consistent with the whole critiques that were made about about landing because my kind of take on on the whole thing has been you like these calls when they work you don't like them when they don't work um so i'm I'm glad to at least hear the consistency uh from people admitting that they were not in favor when they saw this team lining up to go for it but to kaylin DeBoer and ryan grubb's credit like this is what they're paid an absurd amount of money to do which is come up with a play that you know in the huddle You've been setting up the entire game and you look each other in the eyes and go, yep, like this one's going to work. And the irony of this, Mark, is that they they schedule or they were working on this play as a goal line play. Um, Which makes sense they, because they that's when yeah, most, right, yeah, right. a lot of your short yardage package comes in play there. Um, 
but I, I yeah, I thought it was the call of the year. I thought it was an incredible, incredible stroke of genius and hats off to them for, you know, executing it to perfection. And it, to, to me, uh, with Roma Dunze, it kind of reminded me of like, of that, um, the playoff run that Cooper Cup had where uh, leading the Rams to the Super Bowl, where he just made every critical play. And it was, it was of that same thing where it was like, even if Cooper Cup isn't catching the ball, he's running it for the key first down that, mm-hmm. that keeps the drive alive, or he's drawing the pass interference. It was just, they were so dependent on him to do something extraordinary. And that's kind of the level now that Roma Dumze has reached, where it's like, even if we can't complete a forward pass, we're going to have to give the ball to him on fourth and one and trust that that's going to work out. So uh, it was, yeah, that's yeah, a great, great point. Play. I love that comparison. I hadn't thought about the Cooper cup uh, analogy, but you know, for the sake of consistency, I've said this for the last two years, you live by the fourth down, you die by the fourth down. And I've also said, take the points. You know, those are two things that you've heard me say throughout the last couple of years that was not an opportunity where they could take the points, uh, but it was an opportunity for them to to try to live by the fourth down or or their season, like JJ rightly assessed. It, well, their season wouldn't be over, but the the goal of perfection would have been most likely lost if they didn't convert on that fourth down, and they went for it. I don't. I don't want to. I wouldn't yeah, have held it against them. I I, I wouldn't have said. Oh, they ruined it by going for it. I I would have said, hey, they put it all in the hands of their best player, and it didn't work out. So I, I, I get it. JJ, what are your thoughts? Well, and Rome had a fly sweep. Oh, I was just gonna say, Warren. Um, well, maybe I should just tell Mark this that, that at some point during that whole planning of that fourth down. I believe a text came out that said, if we don't get this, I will never hear the end of it from Mark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so just to let you know, we have <laughs> we're well aware of how much crap we gave you and Dan Lanning and every Duck fan for those failed fourth down conversions. So absolutely. Andrew, you're about to share something. Yeah, Rome had that fly sweep against Oregon State. Um, not the same play, obviously, but a similar play call. And Oregon State had him stone cold dead for a three yard loss. And Rome got, I want to say, four to five yards on that. And I'm with Mark here. When you have a player like that who can kind of magic um, that type of yardage, he's just such a tough cover that, yeah, you got to love your odds there because. Now you're putting so much stress on the defense. Not only do they have to come up and make it, you know, either a cornerback or a linebacker is going to be one-on-one most likely with Rome um, to stop him from that. And what are, what are our odds there? They have to be in the high nineties that he's going to make a play. It, it was impressive watching that play unfold. And it's even more impressive watching that play unfold in different iterations. And that's what makes Washington so difficult is it's not like they're dependent on that one play. They have so many iterations off of it that you have to stay honest as a defense. Um, And oh, by the way, Dylan Johnson is a battering ram, right? So you have to play that. You, 
in that situation, you have to play everything honest. Even on the perfect, perfect play call for Wazoo, you're still one-on-one with Roma Dunze or one-on-one with Dylan Johnson or one-on-one with Michael Penix. You got to love that. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I think if going into the game last week, both these games, I think we kind of, the way it was framed, Mark, as we were talking was that this Washington, Washington State game was probably going to be a blowout. And the the drama was going to be in the Platypus Cup with Oregon State and, and Jonathan Smith wanting to stick it to the Ducks one more time uh, on the way out, especially after what happened last year with, uh, you know, landing costing the, the team that 21 point lead in the second half. And yet, as the way as it turned out, which should be no surprise if you actually paid attention to what was happening this season, the Ducks blew out the Beavers and the Dogs barely won a close one, exactly like what we've seen since October 14th. So, Mark, tell us a, a little bit about what you t- took away from this last Platypus Cup, um, you know, maybe just what the game meant to you what emotions you had watching that rivalry come to an end and what does it mean moving forward? Yeah, I think I, of all of Oregon's kind of, you know, like their four, four or five biggest games this year, I would say this was the one that I had the least anxiety about uh, because of how humiliating last year was. And that last year really came down to a test of physicality and knowing that Oregon spent all of their offseason, like their spring football, what you heard about it was it was just so much more physical than last year. What you heard about their their linebacking group is that they were putting on 20 pounds of muscle because Dan Lanning wanted more knockback tackles. Like he just wasn't he didn't feel like they were delivering the, you know, enough bang for the buck. Um, it just it it just seems like. Uh, and and then seeing them like in the Utah game, for instance, just totally manhandle uh, Utah, who similar to, is similar to Oregon State and a lot of their identity. I just kind of have this sense of like, no, this one, like Oregon, Oregon's going to be ready for this one. And sure enough, I mean, they held Damian Martinez to 38 rushing yards, harassed DJU all night. I didn't necessarily see them holding the Beavers to seven points. I thought maybe more like. 17 would be would be about what they would get but i of yeah i would say uh whereas i had significant anxiety about usc about utah about texas tech certainly about washington uh this was the one game where i just was kind of like nope like i think the ducks are gonna are gonna take care of this one because uh this is the game that players were citing in the offseason as kind of their motivation for going through another workout and so uh it worked out that way and i mean andrew you you were watching it uh right along with me in spirit it seemed like it was a game where oregon started out in control where oregon state seemed to maybe be making it a game when they cut it to 14-7 less than a minute to play they kicked the ball back to the ducks and andrew it seemed like that bo nix to troy franklin 41 yarder in the last 20 seconds of of the first half just kind of broke the beavers will 
Yeah, I think the the biggest concern for me was I thought Oregon would get an early lead because that's just how they've been playing. But the concern was what happens when they get that punch back and when Nick's threw that ball across his body um, in the air, um, it would be, it should be noted for our Husky fans. He actually threw the ball past the line of scrimmage on that one. It's shocking. Um, but uh, when he threw that, it, there was no doubt in my mind he had seen something on the TV. You couldn't quite see Troy Franklin coming across, um, but that just ended him. That after that, really, Oregon State was just done. They could not muster anything else, and so for me, that was so good to see, especially after the disappointment of last year. Um, it really did completely change that game. If he doesn't do that. Fine, fourteen seven at halftime. We'll see you on the other side. We'll we'll try to make it happen. But completing that pass, it was kind of like, okay, this is our zombie team. We can't just like stab them in the heart. We gotta take off the head, and that that kind of felt like that blow. It it also felt to me, Andrew, like uh, in hindsight, you know, the next day Jonathan Smith is accepting another job. And as Duck fans, we know all too well what it's like to have a coach coaching with one foot out the door. Uh, I mean, this was eerily similar. I think when Oregon lost to Utah while Mario was flirting with Miami, it was I think it was a 38-7 to game where Oregon just seemed totally out of it from the get-go, where it just, it, they just weren't able to match the, the physicality and the uh, the effort and just everything. And, that, my, you know, my friend Jared, who's been on the pod – big beaver fan like he texted me you know the beavers just look so flat and i've got to think that yeah when you kind of know that your coach is is inching his way towards another job that 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 doesn't help in in bringing that full emotional commitment to a rivalry game especially coming off of the loss that they had to the huskies the week before which was really their hope of still winning the conference title rested on on that game yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And for so many reasons, that's a good comparison. You have so many hopes. Hey, if we win this game, we can really be somewhere. If we if we do it, oh, we can really go. And then you realize we're not on the same playing field with these guys. And I think that's what Bo Nix, when he threw that across his body, DJU's not making that pass. Um, it, it's just not going to happen. And so... I think I, I again. I think that was the dagger when I saw him let it go. We complete it. Um, now it's twenty-one-seven at half, and what are we going to do in the second half? It, it was kind of like, okay, this 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 game. I'm feeling really good about it. Before I, I'd say I was more nervous. I think they'd emotionally they wouldn't let up that big lead, um, but at that point it was kind of that resiliency really was manifest where it's where we're saying nope, this is a different you here it's a different way of doing things yeah so uh great performance by the ducks uh and a good enough performance by the huskies but guys we're not here to talk about the apple cup and the platypus cup nearly as much as we're here to talk about the game that is happening this friday night pac-12 championship for the first time we have pacific northwest rivals meeting uh number five oregon number three washington so it, it hit me guys that this is the last game in the history of this conference. I know that the conference might still exist in some fashion with 
two teams and then they might add the Mountain West. Whatever. This is the last game of the Pac-12 conference, Pac-10, Pac-8, going back all the way as as we know it. And I would say that it's the biggest game in conference history. Did some research. The last time the conference had two top five teams play each other was a 1976 game. That's back when it was the Pac-8. 1976, number three, USC beat number two, UCLA, uh, 21 to 14. USC finished that year 11 and one. Uh, they lost their season opener and then rattled off 11 wins in a row. UCLA was nine, two and one that year. Uh, that was a big game, you know, certainly big in the history of that rivalry. Uh, didn't have a team with an undefeated record. Uh, didn't have two teams playing for a conference championship in the same way that this does because a conference championship didn't exist. Didn't have two teams playing for a college football playoff berth because a college football playoff berth didn't exist. So I would say it's the biggest game in the history of the conference. Warren, you have you have a whole list, right, of, of yeah, what this I, Absolutely. I mean, I would absolutely agree with you that this is the biggest game in the Pac-12, Pac-whatever that I can think of. And historically, I think we can back that statement up, but going into this game, there are so many stinking storylines that just add drama layers and layers of drama to this game on Friday night. So what is on the line on Friday? This is just a brief list that I put together. Obviously number one college football playoff entry, you know, barring absolute chaos, the winner is in and the loser is out. The Heisman Trophy. Jaden Daniels has got the stats, but with three losses, no signature win, and not playing in a championship game this weekend, I I don't see him winning unless both uh, Knicks and Penix, you know, lay eggs this weekend. But it feels like if Penix or Knicks performs well and leads his team to victory, the Heisman assist for the taking. I think that the statistics are close enough that whoever outplays the other in this game is going to go home with the Heisman trophy. Uh, you know, I put these in the notes and then they announced that the Bolitnikov finalists include Roma Dunze, uh, neighbors from LSU and Maserati Marvin Harrison. And uh, we could probably spend 15 minutes just, uh, ranting about the overhype of Marvin Harrison this year, but Troy Franklin just really done wrong and left off the list. There's no other way to say it. He definitely deserves to be in that final uh, grouping, but uh, you got to think that uh, a Roma Dunze having a Roma Dunze night on Friday night will seal the, the award for him pack 12, and possibly National Coach of the Year award. Kalen DeBoer definitely seems like the favorite to win both of these awards right now, but with a victory on Friday night, Dan Lanning could could steal both from the Husky head coach. And then the biggest one that I think we all feel the weight of, Mark, and that is Pac-12 bragging rights. The, the Huskies beat every single one of their opponents during the final regular season of the Pac-12. Anytime I run into uh, a Sun Devil or a Cardinal or a Cougar or uh, a Beaver or whoever it is, I'm going to say, hey, you know, the last time we played each other, we we beat you. But 
we thought we could say that to the Ducks, but now in this final game of the Pac-12, we've got one more chance to do it, and the Ducks have one more chance to to change that storyline as well and get the last laugh. So, you know, here we have the the Huskies are twelve and zero. They're on a nineteen game winning streak. They've beaten Oregon twice in the last thirteen months, and yet they're nine point five point underdogs to the Ducks heading into Friday night. So I'd say this is a pretty big game. Yeah, I mean that that's a lot of a lot of different storylines um that you just laid out. And I think it sir I, I would say that the CFP entry tied to the Pac 12 bragging rights are the things that that are most concerning. Obviously we're not gonna get a, a Blitnikoff for Troy Franklin. He got screwed. Big deal. It's it's going to make him block all that harder on a screen pass. Uh, I don't really, you know, Pac-12 Coach of the Year. I would be happy if Kalen DeBoer got it. I think he's earned it. You know, um, I, I'm uh, Heisman Trophy. I think you might be a little more confident than Michael Penix than I am about his his potential to still um, grab this thing. And that's not necessarily a a a bash on Penix as much as the way that the voting works, it is so hard for a West Coast candidate to pull support away from an SEC candidate. And we've seen guys like Andrew Luck and Christian McCaffrey, who felt like Heisman Trophy worthy candidates, not get that support in the past. Yeah, I mean, so. we could we could go on about that, but let's be honest, there's not an SEC candidate right now. So, you know, I think everybody across the country is saying it's going to be you know, well, I mean, Dan. Okay, yeah, Daniels is an SEC candidate, but he's not on a premier team. So, forgive yeah. me for for my mistake there. But yeah, Daniels, SEC candidate on a kind of an also ran LSU team. But most people, I think, are thinking it's Knicks. But if Penix comes in and uh, blows the door open again, uh, I, I think that the the opportunity is there for him, and certainly, of course, it's there for Knicks as well. I think if Knicks loses, it 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 then puts the conversation on Penix or Daniels. But I I think I think Daniels has a lot of support just because of the weight of his statistical resume. He's kind of got like a Lamar Jackson type resume where he doesn't have the wins, but he has the numbers, and so that that creates an interesting uh, debate. I would prefer go to the winner of this game i think Penix and knicks have been the two best quarterbacks in games that matter uh jane daniels has lost pretty much every game that really matters for lsu yeah. and that's why they're not in the playoff picture but uh the voters will have their say and brian kelly is out there a- asking people to submit their votes before the pac-12 title game is even played so that's hilarious all right jj take a deep breath and reflect on the the enormity of this game with us for just a moment. What are your emotions right now? And to the best of your ability, tell me what you think most of these Husky players are feeling right now heading into this game. Hmm. Oh, man. There is a just groundswell of a, like nervous energy um that that has been building i think for the last since we played in october <laughs> yeah. um it just felt like this was inevitable 
I mean, I think it, it you referenced it in a previous podcast, Warren, this is Thanos, you know, yeah. I am inevitable. This, this was going to happen. And I think despite all of uh, my, you know, protestations i did not want this to take place i wanted the 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 ducks to to stumble and fall um it this was the way it had to be this is the only way it had to be um but it doesn't mean that i'm not just incredibly nervous about this game um partly because of what we watched uh the last several weeks the husky struggle and the ducks roll and so that yeah. creates this narrative of like, we're just not a good team. There's no, no way. I mean, we, we're not able to enjoy our 12th victory, the first team in the history of the Pac-12 to go undefeated in the regular season. We can't enjoy it because all we can think about is losing this, this game. So in some ways, the Ducks have already won mm-hmm. um, because of, of that reality. Um, and there's a definitely a sense of like, are we really doing this again? I think about all the energy that was, that was expended just to enjoy and experience the previous game. And we're going to do it again. Um, and it's just, it's just nuts that we're, we're here. Um, so, but I will say underneath the torrent of emotional energy, I do have this quiet confidence that the Huskies are going to find a way again, that just it's all going to come together. We're going to know within 10 minutes and duck fans are going to be like, ah, crap. This is not the team that we thought (laughs) the Huskies had become. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm really anxious to see how this plays out Um, in terms of how the Huskies are, are feeling their players. I think they're ready for this. I think, I mean, for one, heavy is the head that wears the crown. When you're when you're on a 19 game winning streak, in many ways the Huskies punching above their weight. I just think that emotional energy just to continue to go out and fight when you're when you have a freaking bullseye on you know target on your on your back, uh, it's just it's just it's stressful. It's stressful. You're getting everybody's best shot. Uh, um, Jack Westover, our tight end, said today, you know he referenced this game as a playoff game. He's like, this is next year's a 12 team tournament. This is the quarterfinals mm. winner keeps going. The loser goes home. This is why we came to UW is for this moment. So I think players will be ready. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jake, you know, we, we can see the scores. You can do the side-by-side comparison yardage and, and, you know, wind differential and all those kind of things. But the truth is, is that these two teams combined combined are twenty three and one uh, this season, and they are both stacked with talent. the The Huskies <clears throat> have uh, all Americans up and down their roster. The Ducks have all Americans up and down their roster. Uh, so, as you look at this Friday night game, what gives you the most hope, and what has you the most concerned? Oh, I, so one of the, uh, comparisons that I've, I've been having stream through my head for the last couple of weeks. Um, and, and part of why I. I, I, 
and that I can't wholeheartedly enjoy being under. Yes, like celebrate that. I mean, it's it's just infuriating. But but what it makes me think of is it makes me think of the two thousand one Seattle Mariners, like Mm. the greatest Mariner team in franchise history, arguably the greatest regular season team in MLB history. And there's really, what do we remember them for? Losing to the Yankees in six games. He's in team that didn't amount to much because they didn't do anything in the playoffs when it mattered. And I feel like that lurking reality that if we lose this game on Friday and things fall like we think they fall, and not only does that knock us out of the playoff, but it hit, puts our heated rival into the playoff with a chance to win a national title when we already beat them and had an undefeated season just is, I don't even know the words to describe it. And of course, if I complain about it, Oregon fans are like, well, that's sour grapes and blah, blah, blah. You're afraid to play us. And it's like, ah, no, but it, it, there is something unfair feeling about it where I'm like, wait, we played a stronger record than you. We played Arizona. You didn't. We already beat you. And there's no penalty for Oregon losing a game this year. Like right. they, they're they in a win and you're in situation and we're in the same exact situation. So us having one more win against them gives us no tangible benefit. Uh, in fact, it, it it's almost a disadvantage because, you know, now they're like, they're out for blood and we're kind of in this position of like, Oh, we got to go do it again almost. And I'm hopeful yeah. that the, the, the team is, is not like I am right. I'm sure they're, they're not thinking that way, but I also think that that's hard to, to not have in your head at all. Um, I think the thing that gives me hope about this team is in spite of the, the cardiac kids and the way they have played down to their, their bad opponents, they've seemed to play up to their, their good opponents and this team has never trailed by more than seven points in any game at any point this year. And so I feel like um, they know how to win. And even when they play ugly, even when Penix isn't at his best, which he hasn't been for quite some time, um, even when the defense is, you know, Elijah Jackson is getting torched, um, they they just find a way to win. And I think I'm just kind of like, you know, if – if I'm going to say that, hey, this offense is what it is, it's it's just that's what we're going to see. We're not going to see 40 points from these guys. Um, then I also think I have to say, hey, this team is what it is, and it's it's a winner, and it finds ways to win. Uh, and I think good teams do that, right? They, mm. they find ways to win on special teams. They fi- find ways to win on defense. Um, they pick up clutch fourth down. So I feel like if we can make this, again, just – keep this game close. I love our chances because we've been doing that all year and the ducks have not been in that position, save for that one game in Seattle. So I think if we can kind of put some chinks in the armor, if they're not, you know, if it's not easy for them to move the ball and score at will, then that maybe puts a little doubt and pressure in their mind. And I think we have the belief at that point. Um, So I think that's what the hope I have is just, this team is, I mean, they've never, like I said, 
they're what nine and a half point dogs, which just kind of seems ridiculous. Um, that a number three undefeated team is a almost a double digit dog um, to a team it already beat. I think that, like, yeah, keep talking down the dogs, guys. Keep telling them they can't that bodes win. that bodes well. Yeah, I, th- I think Mark, you said it. You said it best. It's a little unsettling that a undefeated number three team in the country, you know, has that nobody believes in us mantra that they're rolling with. And it's not um, fake like Georgia last year, right? Like nobody, you <laughs> never believed in us. What are you talking about? You were ranked number one the entire year. Like, yeah. So here's you know, here's my question for you guys on that because I've I've been thinking about this about like, gosh, I don't really want to like give them some sort of bulletin board thing to rally around. But then there's part of me that's like, if this was a team that that just had it in them this ability to like flip a switch and like play really pissed off and like just kind of hit their ceiling, then wouldn't they have done that against the Cougars when they saw that they were the last of the ranked undefeated teams in the in the CFP? Like, like haven't they had opportunities over the last six weeks to kind of take some sort of disrespect from how the national media was treating them from what the point spreads were, you know, from how people were talking about them, from how people were talking about Oregon beating them was kind of a default. Like haven't, like, I guess, why have we not seen that yet? If that's lurking within them, this ability to just kind of like flip a switch and just kind of say like, hey, we're really upset. Now we're going to we're going to play our best game. Like, wouldn't we have seen that by now? We just been saving it for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you're right, Mark. Like, there's definitely a, a point where you say, okay, like maybe this is the team that we are, but to Jake's point, this is the team that we are and the team that we are is 12 and 0. Right. So maybe this team is going to get into a dog fight with these ducks and there's going to be some mistakes. There's going to be some, you know, some, easy scores for the ducks, but at the end of the day, they're going to find themselves embroiled in a close game at the end of the, the, the fourth quarter. And it's going to come down to which team feels like they're most prepared to, to, to battle it out in those final minutes. And so, you know, I think, I think Jake, what you said is exactly what I said to JJ earlier today and what I was thinking already. And that is that, uh, you know, if the dogs keep this close, they're going to find themselves at the end of the game saying, we know what to do. We've been here before. The ducks are going to find themselves saying, uh, this feels a lot like the last two times that we've played this game. And so that doesn't mean that they can't change their outcome, but I think some of the bravado that they have right now will begin to evaporate if it's still close in the final minute. So, uh, and Mark, I think, why don't you take take uh you know the duck side of things for us for a little bit? Yeah, so on the on the Oregon side of things, while while Washington has been living dangerously week after week after week, Oregon has just they've steamrolled everyone. They've had at least a 21 point lead in the fourth quarter of every game since that loss to Washington. It certainly seems like that loss was kind of the best thing for them, that it has galvanized them in some way. Uh there were there have been players saying things like that they've watched film of that Washington loss every week since since that loss, just because they knew this was an opponent they were going to see again. 
Uh, Andrew, here's my question for you. Your uh, brother is a high school football coach at a small school in, in Oregon, Cascade Christian High School. Uh, they're a dominant superpower under your brother's reign, but I remember the days before they were a dominant superpower when they had a kind of came out of nowhere. This was before your brother was a coach. They came out of nowhere and they had a nine and zero regular season. And I remember going to their game because I, I lived in the same town as you at the time. I remember going to their game and all of the parents were wearing these shirts that said nine and zero. And before the game had kicked off, I thought to myself, this team is going to be nine and one after today because they were putting a little too much stock in being nine and zero and not enough stock in being 10 and 0. And I'm hearing a lot of Washington fans. They're talking about we're the first team in Pac-12 history to go 12 and 0, as if it's harder to go 12 and 0 in the Pac-12 than the Pac-10. It's still 12 games. Like it when Oregon went 12 and 0 in uh 2010, they had to play nine conference games just like this year's Huskies teams did. The difference in going undefeated in a Pac-12 schedule isn't going 12 and 0. It's the 13th win. It's claiming that conference championship. And it seems like to me, like Husky fans are just kind of annoyed that they have to then go, go play that conference championship, that it's the, the 12 and 0 mark is something that they hold dear. Are are you feeling those vibes too, that, uh, that uh, we're going to see some Washington parents showing up in, in Las Vegas with, with 12 and 0 t-shirts to celebrate this, uh, this Husky regular season. Yeah, I, I think it's a hindsight argument, which means it's a bad argument. Um, because the argument is, guys, we went 12 and 0. We shouldn't even have to play this. Like the ducks aren't penalized, yada, yada, yada. That's a bad argument because that's only done with the benefit of knowing that your team would win the rest of the games, knowing that every but now it would sort out to 12 and 0, 11 and 1. Because at that point, if Oregon took one more loss, they're out, period. They're out of any national championship. If the dogs lose one and they lose anything else, they're out. So the stakes still were pretty high. And no, there is a penalty because if the dogs, let's say the dogs win in this game, now they get to say, hey, we not only beat the number five team once, we freaking beat them twice. And if you put us at three, you, you better – have any good reason to do that like we belong to be number one we should be because we've not only had to play the hardest team in our conference once we freaking did it twice so i don't like that argument from washington fans because it only works if you say hey this is how the rest of the regular season will work out and that's not how football works so there is a penalty it yes it is sour grapes Absolutely, it's a stupid argument because it's not like the Pac-12 this year uh, decided, hey, look, you know, we're going to decide to do this conference championship game and we're going to throw it in there. Everybody knew, hey, we got to win this and then we got to go to the conference championship game and then we got to take that on. So it's not like some added anything. That, that's um, true, so Andrew. But to a certain degree, that's where I'm at. If we had North and South, then Oregon wouldn't even be in this game. So, you know, I mean, the rules are the rules and they were made before the season started. So there's no complaining about that. But if this same scenario had played out last year, uh, Oregon wouldn't or two years ago, Oregon wouldn't even be in the game. So 
you know, I think that's that's a part of the thing. It's just the the way that it worked out. Fishes. But you know, I I for one nineteen ninety one Washington would be playing for a national title next week, right? Like Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I said, if it you know, if, if things were different then then you know we wouldn't be in this did, situation, but did Mark just admit that we played for a national title and won? <laughs> I think we, I think we got it on record, baby. There we go. He acknowledged it. He acknowledged it. You played you a go, team Mark. that was not playing for a national title and beat them, therefore claiming half of a national title. Uh huh. Yep. No. Rewind the tape. I heard oh, yeah. what you said. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I, yeah, I digress. We're tossing in the it's red flag. It's funny that Mark one. would start talking about the. It's funny that Mark would lead in talking about the ducks um by continuing to obsess about the huskies very very good i like it <laughs> hey i think um on the on the oregon side i think it's pretty simple which is they came out of they came out of that game in seattle uh they took a they took a real gut punch from that but from the moment they got back in the locker room they set their sights on we can play this team again if we take care of business over the next six weeks and they've played like a team that has been know every Oregon fan has in mind both the game from mid-October and the game from last November as these two data points that are just that are there and they won't go away until Oregon kind of exercises those demons so it's like I can I can point to all kinds of stats and all kinds of reasons why the rational side of me says Oregon should win and we'll get to our predictions and I'll make a big prediction for Oregon sure uh but until the game kicks off those those two previous games to Washington are they're going to take up a lot of space in my brain and cause me a lot of anxiety. I think that it's November kind of game hard. last year, yeah. that game last year is is you know much more than this year. We were well, you know the Huskies were were favored to lose by two touchdowns last year, and I I for one had no hope that we could win that game. And then sure enough, show up and we have a slug fest in the first half and. and we go up 13-10. It's like we just hung around, we hung around, and we hung around, and we shocked the world. I, I think despite being 12-0, higher ranked, with a win under our belt against the Ducks, that it feels a little similar to, to the lead-up to last year's. Um, because the Huskies, the two games leading up to that game against the Ducks were uh, a, a really weird game against Cal down at Berkeley and in a, in a you know, a weird game against Oregon State where we squeaked by with a field goal at the end. So it's not like we were banging on all cylinders going into Oregon and all of a sudden, bam, we uh, we showed up. So I thought, that, JJ, you yeah. brought this up though earlier that uh, last year towards the end of the season, like especially after that Oregon win, the Huskies were playing like free and loose and confident mm-hmm. and with swagger. And, you know, we're coming off this Apple Cup where there's, there's all these questions about like, what was Penix doing at the end of the game? Was he like having a panic attack? Was he just nervous? Like there's a, there's the weight of the world on these guys' shoulders. It feels like, and they are not playing. I mean, Grubb even mentioned it in his, in his comments. Like he said, I just told Mike, like, you got to go out and just put yourself in the game prep for this week and just ball out, man, you know, go out and and have have fun. fun. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, I have not seen that 
outside of the USC game in the last yeah. two months of this season, where they seem like that freestyling on the sideline during the Oregon game, you know, I haven't seen that. Like I've seen guys that it's like the, the weight of this is on them. And, and I heard somebody on a podcast, one of, you know, was saying like, now that weight should be gone. Like I think the comment was now it's all gravy. And I could not disagree with that more. Like, mm. no, it's not all gravy. Like if Oregon beats us, I'm not going to walk around going, well, you know, we went 12 and 0 that season. Like, yay. Like I'm going to go frick. That was, and for the record, I am not like bitter because I don't think Oregon deserves a crack at the playoff. Like personally, whatever the outcome of this game, like if we beat them and we've won two games, then I think, you know, Oregon fans will tip their cap and go, Hey, you beat us twice. You deserve to go. You're the better team. But if Oregon beats us, especially if ironically it's a close game and they edge us out this time, that would be more gut wrenching to me than losing by 10 or even more because I'd feel like, wait a minute, we beat them in a close one. They beat us in a close one. And they're going to get to the go, go to the playoff and we're going to have to go home. It, it just feels like, no, both these teams should go. And so I'm totally pulling for either complete chaos, like Florida State loses, Bama loses, um, and both of us get in, right? Texas loses as well. Or I'm on the other side. I'm like, hey, Bama, get Bama into the playoff, get Georgia into the playoff, get Ohio State into the playoff. And get Florida State into the playoff, and then the Pac-12 gets locked out because I don't oh, want to for sure at all. <laughs> I mean, there's some point though. Had we played better the last five weeks, then I think the scenario is we're in regardless. Absolutely, I think that's so, true. So yeah. we just we haven't delivered, you know. And to your point, I, mean, I, I personally think that Penix is nursing an injury that, and they're keeping under wraps. That's my personal opinion. Um, I just don't know how you have such a drop off from Oregon to now almost 15% decline in completion percentage. If that does, how does that happen over, doesn't happen overnight, right? You know, unless there's some sort of injury. So that's my conviction, uh, which will make beating the ducks even sweeter when we, find out that Penix had a crack ribs uh, and beat him twice. So, well, let's talk about what it's going to take to beat the ducks. So, you know, JJ, Jake, g- give me what your keys are. Just a few key things that you see, you think we need to see in order for the dogs to pull off this stunning upset win over the, you know, the heavy favorite duck. Du- Ducks. Of epic proportions, maybe the biggest upset since the history of of uh, Pack Eight. Um, <laughs> I honestly, I think to use a boxing reference, um, the Huskies have to get to round five or six. Mm-hmm. Like I think if they come, we're I, we're going to know if this game's over within ten minutes of the, of the start of the first quarter. We're going to know, but if the Huskies. You know, if they if they get the ball and go down to score, and and make Oregon work for a score or hold them to a field goal, or it just kind of gets Oregon out of rhythm, and they they catch them off guard of some things, maybe have a turnover, then I think the Huskies win the game, uh, close a close game. 
And so they've just got to stick around. Oregon lives and dies by the big play. Um, they score quickly like they always have. And so we uh, – even though I mean, they've, they've proven they can have long, long drives like they did against uh, Oregon State this last week. It was like, a, what, a nine-minute drive to start the game, something like that? Um, yeah. But then I, then I feel – confident the huskies have the players the huskies have the ability to win this game we know that um if they can get down and dirty make the ducks work for it i think the huskies have a chance jake what do you think keys to the game for the huskies to win uh i think we're gonna have to see an offense that we haven't seen in two months um yeah you know the, the offense is gonna have to carry its weight again it's gonna have to find that you know, we saw a season and a half of an offense that was that just seemed to be running circles around people and had an answer for everything. And then ever since that Arizona game, it just hasn't quite looked right, minus the, you know, USC who fired their defensive coordinator the next week, right? Um, so I, we're going to have to see an offense that can sustain drives and not go three and out, touchdown, three and out, three and out, you know, punt, touchdown, like – they're going to need to keep the ball away from Oregon um, and have some sustained drives of their own. Um, and that's why I feel like I've been waiting to see that rhythm come back to the offense. And it seems like every time we pick up four or five yards on first down on a nice DJ run, the next play is what deep ball to Rome, deep ball to Polk incomplete third and six. We drop back. Nobody's open incomplete pass. We're punting. And I'm just like, where, where are the little short, like, Here's a slant. Here's a seam to Westover. Here's a swing pass to DJ. Like just five, six yards. I don't need to see any deep balls, right? I mean, mm -hmm. let's get a couple sure to keep the defense offense or the defense honest. But I I want to see that rhythm on offense. And I think if our offense can can rekindle some of that magic that that they seem to have lost, um, which is a I've been saying that for uh, you know for two months now and they can do it against you and they uh again and they haven't right they haven't done that um so i think if they can do that then the defense will be able to i think hold their own prove to be uh, a real you know you can get a key stop but the offense is gonna have to put up mid thirties, right. Again, to win this game. Um, and so that offense that we haven't seen since Seattle two months ago is going to have to reemerge. Um, and the defense is going to have to put a couple of, uh, you know, makers because they have just been, if we, you know, like Jay said it, if Oregon, I think Mark, you even commented, like if you're landing and you win the toss, you want the ball. And if you guys go down and score a touchdown and then we don't, and then you score a touchdown and it's 14 nothing, and we find ourselves in uncharted waters. I'm real nervous at that point that this game could get away from us. Right. Yep. And, and all of a sudden we're looking at like, <laughs> this could be like a 45 to, to 17 kind of game. So we've got to, we've got to have an offense that can help our defense out because our defense is not the steel curtain, right? It's not going to be a, a defense that can get stops consistently against an offense this good um so 
I see it us winning a game more like not to the same extent, but more like USC where we've got to put up points. Um, we're not going to win a 28, 24 game. I don't think. Yeah, no, I agree. I would just add to what you guys said. I think on defense, the Huskies have to tackle and uh, we've seen them improve on that. Um, I think Carson Bruner and Eddie Ulfosio have uh, done a lot to help with that. Uh, I think Thule, Latula Gasanoa is going to have to have the game of his life to slow down uh, Bucky Irving up the middle. And then, you know, I'm not expecting Elijah Jackson to become uh, Deion Sanders overnight, but um, we can't have him costing us this game with, you know, penalties and gigantic, you know, uh, you know, gigantic plays all game long, you know, maybe one we can get away with, but, but he's, he's got to be solid. He doesn't have to be spectacular, but he's just got to be solid on offense. I think you're absolutely right. You know, you use the, the boxing analogy. Uh, it's going to be all about the Southpaw. And if Michael Penix can get his mojo back, uh, the magic back and uh, magic Mike is out there slinging it again to uh, a fully loaded wide receiver room with, you know, Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk get his, his confidence and his catching back. J Mac is, you know, getting balls over the middle Giles Jackson, no concerns about eligibility or injury anymore. Um, you know, Jeremy Bernard ready to rock and roll. If those guys can can do what we know that they can do, and then throw in some Jack Westover and Devin Culp, uh, you know, making some big plays as needed, there's no doubt in my mind that that this Husky team could put up 37 points on uh, Friday. And if the Huskies can get 37 points, I feel good about their chances of winning. By the way, uh, DeBoer is undefeated when uh, the Husky defense holds their opponents to under 40 points. And he's one and two in games that the defense gives up more than 40 points. So to me, there's a magic number there right around 37, 39 points where if we can keep if we can keep Oregon in the, the low 30s, I think we win this game. But Magic Mike is going to have to do uh, his part and uh, and get that mojo back. So that's that's my keys to the game. Mark, as a Duck fan, you know, I, well, I, I heard, I think it was, I heard Josh Pate say this on a little Twitter um, video, but, and I think it's right, but it's, the way he said it, I think is actually pretty accurate. He said, Oregon just needs to keep doing what Oregon's been doing. Washington has to do what it hasn't been doing to win. So as you guys kind of break down your keys of the game, what, you know, what does Oregon need to do or do they just keep doing what they've been doing? Well, I think that that's certainly a big part of it. And Andrew, what do you see, especially in in thinking maybe in the context of what they didn't do in the first meeting? What what are the keys that surface for you? Yeah, it's it's the secondary, you know. And I, I think um, hearing Warren list off all of those names, it, it's hard not to be jealous, you know, because you always want what you don't have, right? Um, 
but in the secondary specifically Dante Manning, um, Triquez Bridges, he's going to have to play a, a pretty good game. Um, I look at it, I'm not discounting Rome, so please don't take it like that. But I just feel like he he has so much gravity that I think it's going to be the people who are playing the Polks and the McMillans. Um, those are the ones that I really feel like have to have a good game. Like, I think Oregon could survive Rome having 140-150 and two touchdowns. I don't, they cannot survive two Washington receivers going over a hundred yards um, because that's what, what it's going to do is it's just going to make it where it's you're, you're, you're dead either way. Um, so I feel like the secondary is, is really, really, really key to this game. Yeah. And I think to, you know, the point that uh, Andrew's making there about Dante Manning and Triquiz Bridges is that Oregon's starting corner, Jaleel Florence, who was actually hurt in the first meeting uh, against the Huskies, pretty, pretty convinced he's not going to play in this next meeting and, and mm. may not play for the rest of the season. So Dante Manning uh, came in and played pretty well against the Beavers, came up with an in, uh, interception in the end zone. Uh, and, and Triquez Bridges uh, was a starter last year, played well in, in some limited snaps against the Huskies when he got in uh, in that game as well. So it's going to be a lot riding on those guys. I'm I'm with you on that, Andrew. And I'm also on the offensive side, I would say, uh, to echo what Jake said, starting fast. Oregon did not start fast uh, in the first half of the season. You look at their Texas Tech game, their Stanford game, their Washington game, where they punted on the first series of the first two series. Uh, second half of the year, they have operated pretty much like a well-oiled machine their first few drives of the game. And I do think that if they can score twice or three times in a row to start the game, they put an, a, a lot of pressure on the Huskies to maintain that pace. And I think the time to strike against Washington is early. This is a defense that seems to get better as the game goes on, they play their best in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, we saw that right in the in the Utah game where it seemed like everything that Utah wanted was there in the first half. And then Washington just took it all off the field in the second half. And so I think uh, it's going to be really imperative for Will Stein to have a really good script for that first series. Uh, I, I kind of expect them to come out throwing a little more than running because Bo, that's what they've been doing in these last few weeks. But Bo, Bo Nix has thrown for over 350 yards for four weeks in a row. And I think uh, they see a real benefit to stretching the field early and how that kind of opens up things for their running game. So I think it's start fast and it's finish drives, man. If you go back to that first meeting, how many times did Oregon get down into the red zone and then not convert when they had four chances around the goal line and, and we make a lot of the fourth down decision-making, but really it was the inability to score on first, second, and third down that led to those decisions being uh, made in the first place. And so when Oregon gets inside the 20, inside the 10, they've got to punch it in. They can't with, with the kicking situation that they have right now with the fourth down history that they have, they can't let it go to fourth down. They've just got to, they've got to take care of business in those situations. That's a good word. All right, guys. Well, we are running long on this podcast. So let's wrap up with some final predictions. And uh, 
let's uh let's start with uh jj and then we'll go to andrew jake myself and mark so uh jj get us started uh, i think you're on mute jj Muted. there you go my first prediction is that tayshawn holden for the oregon ducks will be the one that they've already paid to fake the injury late in the fourth quarter so that's my first prediction uh, the second prediction is uh, the score. I think the Huskies, and actually, Warren, you said this, the number is 37, which is what they scored last year. The Huskies, 37. Ducks, 31. Ducks have the ball. Two minutes to go. Gets down to a fourth down within the 20, and they don't convert. I love it. All right, Andrew, how about you? Uh I'm allergic to field goals right now. <laughs> so I'm not going to give us the three points anywhere. Um, I'm going to say, I, I'm going to say o Oregon has been playing better since they played Washington. It hasn't been particularly close. Um, Washington has been the bend don't break type of a team. That's just how the second half, that being said, um, I will always be haunted by, uh, Penix dissecting us in the fourth quarter um, like he's some mad scientist, right? Um, I, I'm still going to give us the win. I'm going to call it 35-28. And the reason why I do that is that would give us one win to two losses, but we would be exactly one point better than the Huskies. <laughs> I like it, Andrew. I, I like it. it. Uh, I don't know if this is going to surprise people or not. Probably not, because I tend to, as Mark alluded to at the beginning of the show, be more of a a realist is the positive way of saying it. A pessimist is what my detractors would say. Um, I just, I, I don't, like, I keep waiting to see the Husky offense from the first month of the season. Um, and I will, I will be the, most glad I can be if I'm wrong about this. Um, but I I have my doubts that that they're going to be able to flip a switch and turn it on. Um, I think what I the 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 type of game that concerns me is uh remember the final four Gonzaga against UCLA, Jalen Suggs drills the shot, epic final four game. Undefeated Gonzaga retains that undefeated record. Then they go in against one loss Baylor and just get drilled, right? And it was obvious that the emotion and the, the weight and the physicality was just too much for them to handle. And I have sick feeling in the pit of my stomach that that's what's going to happen. Um, and so I'm actually going to predict... 37-24 Oregon. I do not like the reverse psychology going on here. Washington. And that, Mark, you know me. You know me. I am all for doing whatever I can to give my team the advantage, but I am not sandbagging just for that. Like, I, that is everything I said is 100% true. I'm not just blowing smoke <laughs> and hoping that there's the reverse jinx out there. 
Warren, the Huskies need your optimism to uh to, yeah. to hey just yeah. let you know I predicted a 21 point loss for the Huskies last year against the Ducks. So yeah. Yeah you were yeah. a broken soul last year going into that game. I, I, I put no stock in anything you last year. You know, Jake, there's no no hard feelings. You know, I think uh a lot of Husky fans will appreciate your your honesty. Um you know I, as I think about this game um uh, if if it weren't for the fact that the Huskies have done it twice already in the last 13 months, I, I, I would very easily tend to agree with you, but uh, I'm going to say that I think that uh, this Husky, this, this game is going to come down to the ducks having 29 points. They're going to score four touchdowns and have a two point conversion. So 29 points and it's going to come down to the dogs going down the field with 28 points, kicking a field goal with about, I'll say about 50 seconds left and uh, taking the lead and then doing just enough to keep the ducks from being able to get into field goal position and, uh, and, and win the game. So I don't think they're going to, they're going to, I don't think the Ducks are going to miss a field goal to lose the game, but I don't think they're going to get in field goal position, but the dogs are going to win 31 to 29 uh, in a way that feels like deja vu all over again. So Warren, you're going on record saying that the Ducks are going to have their worst offensive performance of the season against the 85 bears. I mean, the 2023 Washington Huskies defense is that is that what I'm hearing that is what you're hearing yeah I'm trying to remember when did you guys play a really good defense this year I mean they uh scored like five on Utah in about two and a half quarters uh so yeah let's just be honest Utah is this Utah this year is not the 85 Bears um okay yeah i mean it so so you're saying that oregon can't score against a good defense is that what you're saying what i'm saying is that racking up big points against inferior teams does not mean that they can't be held in check in a big time game like a pac-12 championship which really only works if you apply that same logic to your very own team yeah, absolutely. Right. That's, uh, so like that's Arizona State was a killer defense until Oregon played them, and Utah was uh, decent until Oregon played them, and, and then Oregon State had a monstrous defense until Oregon played them. Let's be honest. Kenny Dillingham called off the dogs. He wanted. He yeah. wanted. He just he literally there was no defensive <laughs> resistance whatsoever in that game. He's so in love with Bo Nix. He did whatever he could to give him <laughs> Heisman. Like I, that has to be. He is such a a, a, a duck homer, even as a Sun Devil. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, this is this is good. This is these are all interesting predictions. Here, here's my here's my take. Uh, originally, I was thinking through, and I was kind of trying to script this out the way that Warren and JJ did, and I was like, you know, it would be great as if. 
if Oregon went for it on fourth down like six times and they converted every one, or if Camden Lewis had to come on and hit a 50 yard field goal to win the game or something like that. Like there's all kinds of like poetic ways that I could script some, some redemptive story for Oregon. But here's the truth is, is I want no part of this Washington team in a close game in the fourth quarter. I do think they have a real team of destiny vibe. I think they kind of make magic happen late in games. I think they do it on offense. I think they do it on defense. Uh, I think those guys are not going to lose their cool. And it's not that I think necessarily Oregon is destined to choke if the game comes down to the wire. I'm just saying I want no part of this Washington team in that scenario. And so I'm going to, I'm just going to push far and the other direction. And I'm going to say, that Oregon essentially treats this Washington team the way they've treated their last six opponents, which is they jump on them early and and they don't let them up for air. And so I'm I'm saying a 45-27 Oregon win. Oregon has not given up more than 27 points over the second half of the season. So I'm giving Washington as many points as Caleb Williams and, and USC were able to muster. Uh, but I think Bo Nix is playing as well as he has ever played. I think he is incredibly locked in. He's playing like the most experienced quarterback in the country. He now has two legitimate alpha receivers in Troy Franklin and Tez Johnson. He's got a great offensive line, a great running game. And and I just think that this Washington team, as phenomenal as this run is, like to win this Pac-12 title game, to extend a winning streak to 20 games, that puts him up there with like the Billy Bean Oakland Athletics. They're, this is not a team that should be talked about with the Billy Bean A's. Okay, if if they go 13 and 0, they're now in a different conversation than the Don James Huskies and the Chip Kelly Oregon Ducks. This is not a team on the level of the Don James Huskies and the Chip Kelly Oregon Ducks. Some wrongs need to be righted, and it's up to the Oregon Ducks to kind of put this in a historical perspective. Washington's had a great run. Kalen DeBoer is a phenomenal coach. Michael Penix has had a great career, but we we need this story to come to a close on Friday night. And, and it's up to the ducks to do that. Well, I think it's a perfect analogy to use the Billy Bean Oakland A's to describe the Washington Huskies. Thank you for, for that. I love it. I love it. Always been a big believer in on-base percentage. <laughs> yeah. Well, for, for one of these teams, uh, it will be just pure ecstasy. And for the other team it will be absolute agony and so we're here for it we'll be back next week to break down uh all that transpired over the weekend and what it means for these teams moving forward but uh for uh everybody that has been a part of this journey with us thank you for being a part of the dog and duck show um as we've said many times over the last few years there's never been a better time to be uh, the host of a, a a podcast called The Dog and Duck Show. So we're grateful for that. Uh, Jake, Andrew, JJ, thank you guys for joining us. Mark, thank you for being a, a co-host and uh, taking time on your birthday to do this podcast with us. Uh, but for all my dog fans out there, go dogs. And for all of our duck fans, ducks. Go Ducks! All right, we'll catch you guys next time. Husky Nation, it's the end of the third quarter. 
Are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get-together? The answer is born from a hero. Hero de Leon, direct from the prestigious Murguia family just outside Guadalajara, honoring their great-grandfather who saved Mexico from a horrible civil war. It's authentic, courageous, with great integrity, just like the general. Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted or the rich flavor of our Reposado, aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels. Or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero de Leon because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington.